This is Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's podcast series interviewing clean tech leaders from around the world. This episode is being sponsored by Tesla. Just kidding. <laughs> We're continuing our conversation with Galileo Russell, Hyperchange TV founder and CEO. What's important is there's a kind of he's got this this unique approach to business, obviously. Um, he's got at this level, at least, and, and he's got this unique. You know, he's he's a very special person. That's why a lot of people love him, love Tesla. And I think it's it's been a little hard. I think in the early days that that trans that trend that was part of the whole company that everyone was who was hired had that same kind of approach um as the company has grown i think it's just become a lot harder for elon to be a part of every arm of it so you have this problem of someone can reach out with an idea you know elon would love but it doesn't there's not the right people or the right apparatus to funnel that into the company like there used to be so it so it ends up so much going through Elon on Twitter trying to get that. But uh, I, th- I don't know how to solve it. I mean, it's a tremendous problem to go from tiny to gigantic in a short amount of time. And you just end up having new structures, bigger structures. Uh, but there's a problem not just in the PR or advertising or marketing, but in communications across the company where you have, you have people expecting an Elon-like response and hitting a wall. And whether it's regarding investments, buying products, uh, service, or anything, um, I don't really know how that gets solved. But I think it's a, a clear, identifiable problem now, where people reach out to Tesla expecting an Elon-like response and getting something very different. Yeah, and that—that that is, you hit the nail on the head of like one of the biggest issues of Tesla right now, and it's just a symptom of their growing pains. Though it was, you know, it's like what got them to this point isn't gonna what's got them further. Or they need to change, and. Uh, I think that, you know, it's hard to put your finger on it, but I think that's like when you were saying the stock hasn't moved in a year or whatever. Like, I think this is part of this weird growing pain of like, how do we fix our communications? How do we scale up? How do we deal, deal with this? But I, I, I take the flip side as an investor, more and more thinking about it, I was like, man, this is a, not a hard problem to solve based on what Tesla's already solved. Like uploading a software like Zendesk and getting Elon to put a process in for communication is like the next hurdle. And sure, that's like, a, they got to tackle it. They got to solve it. But like, they're making positive cash flow. The product's amazing. Like, so that's kind of. Um, I think this is pressuring the company's valuation. But I actually like, as a long-term investor, I think it's just like a road bump that I've been buying. I've used the opportunity well, to buy. It's stuff. interesting though, because you know, I've there's a great uh, forum thread on the Tesla Motors Club forum. There's a great investment thread uh, with people who have been invested since you know 25 or 30 or whatever, uh, and who have been obsessively following the company for years. And something, I mean, for the past at least few years, maybe several years, I'd say the number one concern of some of those top people is communications, um, not just, again, PR, but communications across the company. And this has been sort of a building problem. And it's obviously gotten more and more, I think, severe in certain ways. So this is a top concern of, of some longtime fans and followers. And I, I you know, I, I said, hey, you guys complain about this all the time. You want to write a group email, a group article about it? And uh, people wanted to, but then couldn't put it together. And I think there's a challenge, like, although it's maybe not so difficult as many of the things Tesla has done, there's a human part of it that's, it's a challenge, you know, in a different way. It's a challenge just to understand where the problem originates and how to fix it, I think. Um, You're mentioning Zendesk, great service. Do you think, I mean, what do you think? What do you think, (laughs) what do you think is a a good approach to, to this how do we fix it? I, that, that's what I'm thinking. And it's so funny you mentioned this because I literally have been going back and forth with Sean Mitchell to 
potentially publish an op-ed, which we're actually going to email you about, but we just haven't, like, we're at the same stage of, like, how do we, like, he actually wrote one already, so I hope he publishes that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's what it takes, like, a very well-articulated letter to Elon and the board being, like, outline, but you have to really outline what the problem is, and that's where it gets really tricky. It's like, okay, like, stop changing your prices all the time. Like, yeah, and on the last conference call or, or, or the non on one of the last conference calls, uh, people brought up service and Elon emphasized that they were, he was going to tackle service. He mentioned some, some things regarding service and these followers on the forum, like, were like freaked out. They're like, man, they, he missed the point. It's not about service. It's about communications. It's not about, you know, just more service centers or, or, you know, better, quicker, return on part supply it's about communication so people were quite upset that it seemed like the problem was expressed it was the top i think it was the top on say but they on your, didn't on your thing it. yes yeah. exactly from and, submitted by sean mitchell the guy who is working on okay. this op-ed and okay. they actually glossed over it and basically it answered it because they saw those questions ahead of time and so they answered that in the prepared remarks sort of but didn't tackle as a service on. issue yeah, as a customer service issue from let's get parts to you faster, not let's communicate when your parts are getting to you better. And that's what really needs work is like, I don't think people are caring about the waiting as much as like, tell me when I can get my car, tell me when I can get my parts versus like the scramble of like, oh, go to this delivery service center three hours away. Oh, wait, no, uh, same day. Don't go to there. You know, like, I don't know. I don't actually own a Tesla. So it's I, it's funny. To well, be- we've, we've, we, we've had one and, and it's the same problem in Poland or Germany, as as we've heard other people. I mean, some people have great service experience, and it. But it really comes down to, as you said, the communications. It comes down to the communications are horrible. <laughs> the communications about what's you know how long it's going to take when you, are just really bad. And so it's so you have a big problem with communication. Also around sales and deliveries, I've heard instances of just uh, they know of of Tesla staff knowing. A car is delayed because the boat is delayed or something, and then giving a really weird, you know, like uh, response to people who came, drove five hours to get their car or something, and not just being clear about it. And I don't really know, you know, I think it's a really, it's a severe issue. I think they have to address across the company is just how they learn to better communicate with everyone. Um, and I don't know how how that's to be done, but but it, it's something to explore. Um, Kanan, any more questions? We, sh- we, we yeah. don't want to hold him hostage all day. I'm sure you have other things. No, it's all- <laughs> I love it. This is awesome. So, I'm having fun. Actually, I do still have, I think, two questions on I'm the list. I'm free and um, fluid. And we, can always so- turn this, we can always turn it into multiple episodes. Uh, I'll, I'll live, you, know, you, can, you can give a nod with your hat or something if, if you're getting uh, ready to, to, if you're getting hungry or something and need to be released. But uh, I'm happy to keep chatting. Yeah, Kanan. Yeah, let's keep it going. Yeah, so uh, during Elon's Joe Rogan podcast, um, I said I saw you had two main takeaways and you've been really stoked about it as far as I've seen, and that is about the electric plane and the air conditioning. Maybe you can tell us more about the videos you've made about that or planning about that, seen something in a newsletter recently. Yeah, no, biggest takeaway was actually that he wasn't that good at smoking weed. So that was my first takeaway. But um, that, it's yeah, so hilarious. That every headline was about him smoking pot. And then you have pot smoking experts who are like, he didn't even inhale. He didn't know how to smoke. Right? Weed. Like, <laughs> like pretty weak hit, honestly. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, but so the, um, yeah, th- both those two things you mentioned, the HVAC air conditioning sort of system and the electric VTOL jet, 
you know, that's why I'm invested in Tesla. To, it's not what products we know. It's not pro what products are out and exist. It's like, this is a call option on the greatest inventor alive right now, Elon Musk, and what he's gonna, where he's going to take this battery technology. And who knows where that goes? You know, that's when I think about Tesla. Any, every way we produce energy, every way we consume energy, every way we store energy is ripe for disruption and Tesla's coming for it. And so that- And just as a pause on that, just because what you said about Elon, this is what I, I determined a while, about a, six months or a year ago is, you know, I think people who tried to attack Tesla tried to attack the company for a long time. And then they, did, I think, shifted more to attacking Elon and getting very mm -hmm. personal with him and getting very, trying to really trigger him. And if you think of, I mean, if you took Elon out of the equation, that stock would, I mean, wouldn't go to zero, but it would drop a lot because a lot of people, whether it's Ron Barron, Ross Gerber, you, me, are invested in Tesla because of Elon, because of his innovation, his, his, his tendency for, for disruption, for inventing. Um, and it's like, you know, that is a lot of, the expectation of the company is that he's going to continue leading the company. <laughs> like this idea that it would be better if he was gone is insane. Like that's yeah. not I mean, haven't they learned anything from what happened with Steve Jobs? Like seriously. But keep going with, with those specific technologies. I just, I, yeah. I think it's, it's critical, you know, to under, for people to understand no one who genuinely is heavily invested in Tesla and knows the company well wants Elon to go. This is a yeah. kind of campaign messaging campaign to try to hurt the company. It's like we are invested because of him, <laughs> you know, like I want someone who's I want to be invested in a company that's whose CEO and like chief technology officer or product officer, I guess, is so valuable and such a genius and so irreplaceable that if he leaves the company, that's a disaster. Like the flip side of that is he's irreplaceable because he's adding so much value. And this is like an extremely rare person. And so, you know, the, I can't, you know, I just look at the facts. Everyone calls me an Elon fanboy. I'm like, dude, like. He started Zip2, sold it, hustled from nothing, like started uh, PayPal, hustled, merged it, whatever, flipped it from nothing, like SpaceX, incredible execution. Like he's got an incredible track record. This is like, it's, it's not an opinion. You know what I mean? But anyway, sorry. I'm no, getting a little that's I think really, actually a really no, good response to that. A really good response to that that I've been using lately a lot is we're simply on the same mission. And definitely that means that we're all pretty interested in them. Yeah, but but I think it's critical to understand. I, I think it's there. A lot of people put us on the defensive. People attack us as Tesla's PR team or or fanboys or whatever as well. We're objectively looking at what are the best solutions, what are the best clean tech solutions, who's doing them. So that's why. But I think there is. I think there is a, a definite clear mission to smear Elon Musk and smear anyone who supports him and smear anyone who who's saying he's important to the company. And uh, there. There are, you know, I'm not a conspiracy. I, I, had, I think conspiracy, like crazy conspiracy theories are a huge threat to our society and they're getting uh, big. But there is, there is a clear attack on the man. And if you talk to anyone who's, who's really a, a shareholder, really invests in the company, it's about Elon's track record. It's about what he does. It's about his brilliance connecting things. It's not about being a fanboy. It's about this guy gets shit done. He integrates ideas like no one we've ever seen and he makes them happen. But so anyway, obviously I sound like a fanboy, but I think there's a critical thing to understand is that people attacking Elon or attacking fans of Elon often either bought into some nasty hype or they are involved in a in a true smear of character to try to hurt the company but anyway 
keep going with the technology. <laughs> yeah, you're giving me so many. I mean, I have a lot of conspiracy theories. I don't know if I believe in the conspiracies of of the FUD, you know, but I read David Einhorn's book, Fooling Some People All the Time, which I think everyone should read because I think it's as much uh, a story about him shorting this company called Allied Capital, I think, and then crumbling. They were really a fraud and a lame company doing some shady things. But the I almost fit, thought that book was A, trying to rewrite history or frame history the way he wanted it to be framed. And the biggest takeaway was the amount of meetings that these short sellers set up with regulators and their involvement with regulators and like their spoon feeding of like, you should look at this because he violated his tweet thing. And they'll like, like, you know, it's not illegal, but they're just like pushing the regulators to do it. The regulate. And then there's this. And that's so, how lobbyists work in politics. They, it's not like they just do the hard work for the politicians and their staff and they create the legislation, they create the, the, the model legislation or whatever, they, they feed the stuff to them to do what they want. And, you know, I, yeah, my understanding is short sellers have a lot of money at hand. They know how the system works and know how to play the system for their benefit. I mean, you see the old Jim Cramer video about this. You see uh, people sort of- Yeah, the Jim Cramer video is crazy. And you read the Fairfax case, right, about Jim Chanos. And so that was other, so those are the two big shorts, David Einhorn, Jim Chanos, like, um, yeah. And they're really, they're both really smart people in their own ways. And so that's deadly. Um, but I also think like from talking, I don't know, I just think that they're also close to breaking and Tesla starts going running like Mark Spiegel, yeah. his track record is significantly underperforming the market for years. David Einhorn's track record is severely underperforming for the last couple of years. And that's not going to last. Like Tesla's the one who's Time is actually against them. As much as they are pushing the narrative that time and the clock is running out against Tesla, to me, that's a psychological projection. The clock is running out against the shorts. That's have, their funds. Yeah. And so, and yeah. you have, I mean, there's a theory that some are heavily backed by oil companies or whatever to, you know, that they can run for a long time because they have backing of, of companies that have a lot on, on uh, at stake. But there's others like that are just, you know, they either legitimately thought Tesla was about to collapse, which is fine. It's a, you know, you could come to that conclusion just looking at the numbers, not looking at, uh, you know, not having faith in Elon, not having faith that they would pull it out. Uh, but there's a certain, yeah, length of track for those kind of people. We saw before the Q3 quarter, Andrew left from Citron Research, who was a longtime short seller and bear on Tesla, totally flipped his position. It, it was fascinating for us personally because he put, I think four of my charts uh, in his uh, 11 page report oh. on why on why they were flipping from short to, to long. But it was apparently a huge story um, it was all over CNBC because this guy had been anti Tesla for a long time. Now he's selling the other side of it. But uh, you just have this breaking point where I think some of them are either going to break or have to flip. And uh, I think they, as you said, they get more desperate. But let's get back to the planes and the and the HVAC. Let's go to the <laughs> yeah, planes and the HVAC. So this is what gets me excited: is Tesla's lead in that efficiency of the electric motor. And so if you look at the cost of like batteries coming like this, every time they go down, they're just it's like a weight. They're disrupting more and more industries. And so the leader in this battery technology and cost is going to be the first to disrupt all of these industries. And so uh, I think. 
you know, car consumer transport is one. That's what we're seeing Tesla do with, you know, 83% market share of EVs. EVs are rapidly rising in market share. That's great for the consumer market. And I think Tesla could justify its entire valuation there. But then they've unveiled the semi-truck, which to me is in many ways the most interesting product Tesla has because it's like an adjacent industry into freight. It's not a consumer purchase. They're, they're, they want to convince fleet operators that this is more economical to operate. So that's the next wave of the battery technology. This will, this will come out before this podcast probably or around the time. But in our conversation with Jerome, we asked about his transition through the company. And you know, he, he was like different roles at the company. Then he took a leave of absence. He was you know, tired, took a break. When he came back, Elon asked him, uh, so what do you want to do now? And, he's, and he said, uh, semi-truck. So it was Jerome Guillen's idea to do the semi-truck, and he's been leading the project ever since. So, And he actually worked for Mercedes building uh, yes. one of their semi-trucks pre- previously, right? Hmm. So, yeah. And so it, it's um, honestly a little bit disappointed that Elon didn't already have that idea on his, on, in his head. <laughs> but um, Maybe he did. I mean, who knows, who knows how that story might have been shortened but, or if they had discussed it before. I, I don't know. But uh, but. Uh, but it, it is like, it's not just Elon. There are Jerome, J.B. Straubel. There are a handful of people at the top of this company that have that kind of, uh, you know, outside the corporate box approach that you were talking about earlier with Elon that makes the company so special. There are a handful mm-hmm. of them who are looking for, they're just brilliant inventors, innovators who are looking for new, new things to do. Yeah, and that's the the flip side of Tesla's poor communication culture is this radical, like, we'll do everything different culture and like we don't care and we're innovating. And so I think that gets them, they got, they don't get enough credit for that. And that's like the, the semi truck. But um, yeah, so the electric plane thing is, is really fascinating. So Elon has had this idea for an electric VTOL jet, which he's mentioned a lot. And I mean, if you think about airplanes burning a ton of fossil fuels, only getting more and more popular, like this is clearly something that needs to get disrupted. But the biggest issue is getting the efficiency of the batteries to 400 watt hours per kilogram. That's like this bit, this level that Elon Musk has cited. And so if we actually look at the, the progress of Tesla's um, from, this isn't my research, this is from Matt uh, Joyce from Loop Ventures, but he estimates that the watt hours per kilogram of the 18650 cells was 206. And then in the uh, 2170 cells, the watt hours per kilogram was 260. So that's a 26% increase in efficiency in just one iteration. So to go from 400 to 260 is only a 55% increase. And the 18650 to 2170, you can say, I don't know, that happened three year, over three years or a handful of years. Like Tesla's making concrete progress towards that 400 number. And if you extrapolate like 5% per year improvements, which is something that JB Straubel actually guided, they will hit that 400 watt hours per kilogram efficiency with lithium ion batteries by the year 2028. And I, there's so much guesswork that goes into that. And I don't even like thinking like, okay, then they're going to launch a plane. It's going to be a huge product. But that's just to me a thoughtful exercise of like, yeah, you know, you can't even think about it because it's too exciting. But at the same time, this was the first meeting between JB Strobel and Elon Musk. The first meeting they had was about an electric plane because uh, JB. Actually, fun fact: He actually mentioned this during the Iron Man Two movie. Yes, so that yes, he was there. For yeah, he's goes. He's like, oh, I have an idea for electric jet. So I made a moonshot Monday about <laughs> electric jet, and it opens with that shot from the Iron Man movie. Well, really? if I. He told this story at an annual shareholder meeting, I think it was. Um, but if I remember correctly, J.B. Strobel wanted to make an electric airplane, electric jet. And, uh, and someone who knew both of them said, hey, you guys, should have, you guys should have lunch, whatever. So they talked. So they had a long, exciting lunch conversation about electric vehicles. And 
uh, I don't know if it was then or later that they they determined, you know, it wasn't time yet for electric planes, but uh, but then started, got them going on Tesla. But, uh, you know, he's he's whenever it's the topic has come up in the past couple of years, it seems like he's sort of like, you can't tell what he's saying with his response. Like, is he saying that they're working on it behind the scenes or is he saying, ah, oh, that's a far out idea. We're not doing that. It's unclear. It's been unclear to me. Yeah, I mean, my theory is the state of the project is Elon has a napkin sketch and they're just going to not do anything until they improve the technology significantly. But that's how they'll probably do everything. So, yeah. um, but it's just like, I think to bring it back to why that's so important to me and like the, the HVAC system. So they patented this new way to do HVAC, which I don't know, I guess it could be more energy efficient. It could be like a new way to heat or cool a house, potentially not just your car. And so, you know- Bioweapon defense mode at home. <laughs> Yeah, bioweapon defense mode. I mean, but it's just like this theory to me of why it's so hard for the mainstream financial media not to get Tesla. And this is why I, you know, I was invested in Tesla since the 20s per share when I was in at NYU and nobody believed Tesla. Like I was crazy for liking Tesla and they have now it's 10x from there. And it was because you couldn't like, well, there's only 20,000. Uh, if they're going to produce 20,000 Model S, A, that's just no way they're going to sell 20,000 Model S. Even if they do, that can't justify a $3 billion company. Like they're, you put it in all these boxes. And yeah. the thing about Tesla is they're creating all new boxes. And it's like they're creating all new products. Like you, can, you can't yeah. model out the cash flow of something that's never existed before. Yeah, and, and, so the, and the investors who put money in, who, who commit to Tesla, they almost uniformly are thinking five to 10 years out or 10 or 10 plus years out. There's, I, I don't know many Tesla investors who care about quarter to quarter. Uh, everyone's looking long-term. So on the one hand, the, the negative press and financial coverage is possibly a benefit for, for those of us who have that you know, opinion because sooner or later it's going to become obvious. But at the, in the meantime, there's a lot of opportunity to buy stock at a sort of low price. But talking with the ARK Invest people, and, and I'll, I'm probably going to conflate my podcast with Tasha and their podcast with Elon, but, uh, but there is a kind of, oh, well, for sure today I was talking with Tasha about, generally speaking, I mean, there's uh, a lot of people are putting no value on Tesla's autonomy program. And that's just insane. I mean, they're so far ahead on autonomy. I mean, there's different metrics. You know, Navigant comes out with a report that puts Tesla on the bottom, puts GM and Waymo at the top. Ark Invest. Oh, I've had some short sellers send me that. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's so ridiculous. The short I mean, sellers are basing their thesis on that. So Yeah. Well, Tasha's the autonomy and AI expert at Arc Invest. So we spent most of our podcast talking about this, this topic. So I'm trying to, trying to put it into a nutshell, but it's hard. But basically, you know, you have... You have different, I, different understanding, different levels of analysis on who's going to lead on autonomy. But at the moment, you have like a zero value on Tesla from a lot of major shareholders because they're not comfortable taking a leap on that. But anyone who's really dug into it, I think, who really is looking at it, I think, objectively, sees that Tesla has a huge uh, multi-year head start on hardware, on software, on the idea. And so you have this just fascinating situation where you get a company that's doing this leading in a core technology of the future and is getting zero valuation from, for it from major investors, which is, which is mind blowing. Hmm. So I actually want to, I, yeah. So I've, I've, I have, I have a lot of confusing ideas on this because I've talked to Tasha Keeney about this and I think there's, there should be zero value on the autonomy piece, even though I am bullish. 
I don't even think the market is giving zero value to that. I think that's really hard to say. Well, I don't think the market as a whole, but I think a lot of major shareholders are, are giving it. Yeah. Like it's just such a hard, um, I'll first say the skeptic thing and then get what gets me excited. The skeptical thing is like, when does this come out? When you, okay, we need to have a billion in revenue at least before this just remotely matters to Tesla. So what year is that going to be? Like, do you, do you I, I'm curious, like, yeah. do you have a guess? Because yeah, I'm an, I know Tesla and I'm like, I have no clue. No, well, I think it, I think it comes down to a couple of things. So you can look at it that, that way, you know, wait for some numbers and then model from those numbers. Or you can look at it from a, you know, 10 year out perspective of, well, who's going to be leading in 10 years? And is that worth anything? Yes, it is worth anything. No, no, no. That's where, yes, it is worth anything to me is the question mark because you, Tesla might still be leading in 10 years, but there still might be zero business yeah. there. Yeah, so yeah. Still, I mean, I, but, I think that's a so fine. That to me is the question is like, we could be 15 years out from this yeah. actually being a thing. And that's why I don't really think there should be much value to it. So yeah, I think there's a fine perspective. And I think um, even at the beginning of my, my chat with her on the podcast, you know, I put out that, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really know. We don't really... We don't have, uh, no, nobody has a crystal ball on this as far as I can tell. I've talked to top people at Bloomberg New Energy Finance for this. I've talked to top, t- Tasha, other people like her. I've talked to people at, at different companies. And, and my, my, biggest take, my biggest takeaway is nobody really knows. You have, a yeah. lot of, you have a lot of people with strong opinions that are hugely divergent. Um, I, you know, I, I, of course, think that Tesla's approach with the... Uh, uh, the, what we call a subsumption, subsumption uh, approach of learning like a human, learning to learn like a human, and then learn, and then learning to you know to be better than a human, <laughs> learning like a, a superhuman, uh, is better than a world map view basis, which is what everyone else is based on. And I just think their hardware is so far advanced, and their software and their data collection is so far advanced. And then Elon's ta- you know on their call said he thought. Uh, I think it was two or three years out from, from being able to really, the driver could sleep, whatever. Uh, and then it comes down to regulators. And I think yeah. a lot of people are concerned too much about regulators. I think there are a lot of markets that want to be leading on this. Um, my home market of Florida, the UAE, where I've spent a lot of time, China, California, Norway, different markets, I think, want to be a huge leader on this topic, and they will make it happen. I think it's very important to define the target uh, exactly what we are talking about with complete autonomy. So, for example, I know uh, one of the other YouTubers, Ben Solens, he keeps saying it needs to be completely able to work on its own off-road, you know, in the wild. Then there's, for example, the United States. I, you know, my, I have some recent experience now in California. I saw you had first two lanes, then what, uh, or from one lane to two lanes, and uh, autopilot gets confused when it has to switch to that and roads are not perfect uh, there. Then I can compare that to the, ne- to the Netherlands where everything is perfectly, completely marked. And I, th- and I think I've also seen documents saying that the, the Netherlands is more prepared for autonomy than the United States. But, but uh, one thing with that is it doesn't, with Tesla's approach, it doesn't have to be. They, they, the point is that the cars will learn to, to think like a human or a better. Eventually, absolutely, I definitely but, think so. I'm just yeah, thinking that they could be have... able to be level five safe in the Netherlands before, uh, and you know, People yeah. can already use that before in the United States or before being able to use that randomly in the middle of the desert. And even if the only markets for level five autonomy are Florida, UAE, Singapore, uh, some parts of China, that's a, those are huge yeah. economic, that economic counts. Exactly. And then that's a dramatically disruptive technology. So I, I mean, 
I don't know if I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I put any value on it, my, like, definitively, specifically, um, as thinking about Tesla. I just think about Tesla's this far advanced on autonomy, in my opinion, based on what I've learned about the hardware and the software. This far advanced on the battery production and battery design and, and costs. This far ahead on. Uh, on the overall package, what they're doing this far ahead on the vertical, the, the manufacturing, the, how they are manufacturing their vehicles, which is something that's just, again, when you go into the factory and you see how they've, they've been, how they just bring Elon's engineering tendencies to, to life. It's, uh, it's really, I think inspiring makes you more bullish, but, um, but yeah, the, the autonomy thing is, is just such an insane wild card because it could be so dis- disruptive, but it's still so, hard to evaluate. Yeah, and I, I'm with you on all the excitement and disruptive potential, but like, notice how my question is, can we, like, let's just guesstimate a year where this generates a billion in revenue. No one will even guess it because they're so unsure. So that's where to me, it's like, all right, like whatever. But on the flip side, where there is value today is where Tesla's neural net and this self-driving software is being used by all of their customers in the form of autopilot that keeps getting better every day. So there's already tangibly making a difference in the consumer experience of Tesla's product. So that to me is where there is a lot of value because I think today when you decide to buy a Tesla, that is one of the factors of why you'd buy it. So in some ways, you know, to flip it all around, like it, who cares about the self-driving network? Like it's already adding value to Tesla's cars. It already keeps getting better. Um, and so I think that's an awesome way to look at it, but it's like, I guess yeah, why I'm, I'm such a- And I'm lumping them all together because I wasn't just talking full of time. I'm also talking about the- just uh, the suite that's available today, like last this last quarter that just ended, uh, how much extra revenue did Tesla get just from lowering the price of autopilot and a bunch of people jumping in? Uh, we, I don't, I don't know. Why well, get them out? I, I know anecdotally, anecdotally, a lot of people who held off buying, buying it initially jumped in at three thousand dollars, and so you have this kind of potential to to grow revenue on it. But you also have what a takeaway I came from the last call was. You have Tesla's right now got a product that's cost competitive, that's better than the competition. And then autopilot's an add-on. So you add on autopilot and it's an extra. In a few years, we, we, I think we'll be at the point where the product is, it's expected that the product has these features. Uh, it's expected, like, like, to, like it's expected today to have uh, cruise control. So in a few years when it's expected, then everybody will want a product with those features, not just want the option to add them on. And then you've got Tesla's got vehicles that are, that have the product and are, you know, and and any competitors that are in the same price range, it's an add-on. So you go from it being competitive with an add-on, making it more expensive potentially, or to the point where it's competitive with the add-on included and everyone else is just more expensive uh, and everybody's expecting the, the package. So I don't know. So when you look at that, it's, it just makes in three to five years, who's going to buy a competing vehicle when they could get a, a Tesla with all of this included. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And I think it could be, so the way I look at it from, and I'm like, I'm an aggressive growth investor, but on the flip side, like this is my skepticism and conservativeness is like, I don't need the autonomy piece self-driving Tesla network to work for me to make money and like believe in my thesis. And that's super important to me. And I think that is like where I want to be in my head. I don't want to be relying on this, but I'm so pumped if that's a trillion dollar business and I'm believe that Tesla is ahead. So like I, but I also, it's that conservatism in me. That's like, eh, I'm just not going to ascribe value to it because I don't need to. 
Um, but ah, oh, there was one more thing I wanted to say about it. Um, oh, so the best way I can think about, cause I, I'm trying to do the hard work of like, let's put this in numbers in a box and like get value to it. And like, um, as much as people love to think the testables hate numbers and financials, like that's what I'm really waiting on. And I think the way, what you've seen Apple's business do transition from hardware to software and services will be exactly what Tesla does in a transition from hardware to services uh, revenue. And it will take years and it will be very long and it will be this transition from hardware to software revenue. And what gets me super excited is, okay, you're selling a $35,000 model three for 35 grand that costs you whatever, 30 grand to build, let's just say. If I have an autonomous taxi, I think the average Uber ride is like $2 a mile or something. Let's say you cut that in half and do a dollar a mile and you drive around this Model 3 for like 200,000 miles or 100,000 miles. Like we're looking at a car, an asset that you just produce because it's autonomous on a network can be generating over 100 grand in revenue versus today we're selling it for 35 grand in revenue. So vehicles, if they're autonomous, if they're software enabled, are going to go from a very low margin product to an exceptionally high margin product and or exceptionally high revenue generation opportunity for them. You know, like Lyft's IPO, cars are only being used 5% of the time, yet they're still profitable to sell and have consumers buy them. If Tesla can innovate and allow them to be used more, like that's what really gets me excited about the autonomy piece is this shifting of all, all, everyone who's telling me like cars are super low margin, cars are super low margin, this is a crappy business, this is an Apple stock calling it the Apple of the auto world. Like it's not gonna look exactly like Apple, it's gonna be different at maturity, but there's a lot of parallels and I think um, this transition over the long run from a lot of huge hardware sales and very profitable to even more profitable service sales is what we're going to see. My question is, is that is, is services 10% of Tesla's revenue in 2025? Is it 10% in 2030? Is it 80% in 2030? That is just where I have zero confidence and ability to predict that. Yeah. And that's the kind of question you have to ask Elon and hope that he's going to give one of his, well, off the top of my head from my napkin calculations, you know, answers instead of, well, we don't know, but, uh, but and then you should also compensate for Elon time. That's why I don't believe like what, what Tasha was saying about, okay, it's, we're only like Elon said, we're going to do fully self-driving by this year or, you know, and I'm like, I just don't believe Elon, like, sorry, like Elon, you just have your timeline suck. Like I'll believe it when I see it. Like you see, I, I think, uh, when I think about it, he was talking about the coast to coast trip. Yeah, uh, like the coast to coast trip. Exactly. It's like we still but, haven't done that, dude. Stop like hyping up the see, next thing. But see, the thing is, I I think about like uh, like that like that's all behind schedule. But now I think it's I think it's close enough to the end that that the uh, predictions get closer more accurate you know where yeah i feel okay, that like i think he he's sort of adjusted his timeline for the past three to five years and so i, I have more confidence in it um at the same time yeah you, you don't know and, and with this stuff it can often be as you know the last not just the last one percent but the last point zero one percent that's you know and but that's because elon he said it's going to be ready in two years which makes me think maybe five which is not that far off to be honest in any case, you have what you're going to have is a Tesla vehicle with dramatically better capabilities than anything on the market. Um, yeah, if you if you're just if you're just you know thinking about jumping into spreadsheets and what's that all worth, that's a different matter. But I think if you're just taking a big picture view of is Tesla you know is Tesla in a comfortable position to continue being the market leader? I, I mean, I think it, it looks like they sell. Yes, if you believe that lidar is not necessary. And so an interesting tidbit that Matt brought up on my podcast was that SpaceX uses LiDAR 
And so Elon is very familiar with the technology and has still chosen not to use it. And so that's an interesting angle, but that's really the debate of, you yeah, know. And Tasha, like, said they were com- Tasha said they were coming around to thinking that uh, LiDAR's actually maybe not, not needed, but they're like just at the edge of coming around to that. That I mean, you can see how she says yeah. on our podcast. But I, I oh, personally right. think, I think people think that he just throws stuff out there sometimes uh, and doesn't know a lot about it. And I think... Uh, pe- oh, yeah. No, that's not the case. He's just think, very optimistic and assumes nothing right. goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but- it was, and it was interesting that I think they said on their call that he meets with the autopilot team every week. We, when we were there in the office, uh, I actually, I was going to get water. <laughs> I was going to get water and he was coming and he started coming out of these big, these doors right there by the, so we were going to be like shoulder to shoulder and he knew we were there and everything. So I just always oh, said, Oh, hi. And he's like, Oh, hi. Hey, I got to get to this autopilot meeting. Uh, but come talk to my assistant, whatever. And uh, so we, we go over there and he's, he's going into this room, gla- glass windows. So there's like, I don't know, there was like a dozen people or something and him. And if he's having this meeting every week, with like a dozen or or however many it was, I don't. I, I was a little in shock, so I didn't. Yeah, talk. two dozen, I think. A lot, quite, quite a like, lot of two dozen people, huge people. And these are experts. These are like people at the top of the industry for this stuff. And he's meeting with them weekly and discussing this stuff and understands this stuff. Uh, that gives me a lot of confidence in his ability, just based on what, what you said, his track record, his ability to synthesize yeah. everything. Don't bet against Elon. Together. And know what he's talking about on it, but at the same time, you, he is op, he is you know optimistic as hell, and this is a this is a something you always have to take into account. Yeah, and I, as much as I'm not impressed with the financials of it or getting excited about it, I am very impressed with like what the like the like Tesla doesn't get enough respect for this, like the Navigant research that says they're last in self driving when they're the only ones building their own chip to displace Nvidia, and like uh, and like the neural net you know, okay, maybe even if it does fail, like the, the, the progress they've made and what they built is incredible. And I just think people don't respect, like, you know, that's why I think Tesla is such a deep tech company and like, they're so impressive in what they can accomplish and like their proficiency in software, like that's all being demonstrated by their, the functionality of autopilot. It's why it's the core hyperchange. Like (laughs) when you think about this stuff and you think about how you described hyperchange earlier, it's just the, it's that, it's the, the essence of that. You've got these major industries. You've got these major analytical firms that have been following these industries for, for decades, and they know how to evaluate these industries. And then Tesla comes in, and they don't even know how to evaluate it in the same way as they're evaluating Cruise or Waymo or others. They don't even, it seems to me like they don't even know how to integrate the two in one chart, <laughs> in one well, analysis. Yeah. Where, so they throw Tesla on the bottom because they don't really understand what it's doing or how it and, and it's behind in mapping or whatever, <laughs> you know, and they have Waymo and Cruise and whatever else on the top because it's a different system and they're trying to swoosh them together. I mean, it's even worse than that. It's like I'm tired of hearing a journalist and some Wall Street analyst who has no software ability or just hasn't done anything in their life. Tell me what the most cutting edge technology is in an industry they have no experience in. Like, I'm sorry, that just is like. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just hogwash. Like, it's, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's a joke. It's no, honestly, I try to call of, uh, Oracle. Um, Larry, what was his name? He uh, I made a really, sorry, what? Larry Ellison. Yeah, that guy, Larry oh. Ellison. He made a really good comment. And he's like, 
who are you? Like when he encounters this kind of journalist who makes that kind of comment, he's like, who are you? What have you done to be able to question Elon Musk or any of these people uh, for the products that they are working their ass off? You know, who are you? I mean, and that's yeah. really good question. I got in so much trouble for saying that. And I'm in the Microcap Club, which is this investing club for small companies. They hate Elon Musk and Tesla and anything cool tech. And so I posted like, I'm out. This is years ago. Like I'm all in Tesla. Like this is the future. Like, and then there, I got the amount of hate and being like, this is like, he's a fraud. He hasn't done anything. This is a joke. This, and I was like, I, I literally replied and I was like, you guys should think about what you've accomplished in your life before, <laughs> before saying that this guy who's done thousands of times more than you will ever accomplish, who's also yeah. a couple decades younger than you is done nothing. And like, yeah, well, you know, I've, I've been in media for a decade and I learned quite early on. Well, for me, being in media is very humbling, super humbling. Because if you report something incorrectly, there's plenty of people happy to tear you down for it. There, people love to show you how wrong and stupid you are. Uh, so yeah. I, I've learned, you know, I'm a little obsessive, uh, pr- probably annoying and boring with how much I qualify stuff, whether I'm on a podcast or, YouTube, or in an article. I spend a lot of time qualifying, like trying to, to put out there, I don't know, this, are the, this is the context, this is, you know, the context I think is important to think about. These people think this, these people think that. And, you know, our opinion is this, or my opinion is this. And I, and I try to qualify a lot. You know, I, I'm sure I don't do it nearly as much as I like even, but uh, I try to qualify a lot to make it clear, you know, we're going on limited information. Even if I talk to an expert, that person has limited information. Even if I talk to five experts, those people together have limited information. So you got to take everything with, you know, and taking into, consou- into account context. And uh, you, like you just did, people call you an Elon fanboy or Tesla fanboy. But you're being hypercritical of Tes- of Elon's uh, timelines and his um, his uh, his ability to forecast, which is you know about as sharp and critical as you can get um, on these on these topics. Uh, but it's so easy to but be it's being realistic. It's being it's trying to take into account as much context as possible to to understand the you know to see the puzzle as well as possible, right? Um, yeah, but it, but it's just you know. I think you have to always try to qualify and people who jump out there and say they know something unless they really know it, like you, that makes, that puts up a yellow flag for me, if not, if not a red flag, you know, mm-hmm. are we good? <laughs> One more question. What, I think we're, do you have any more? Are you, yeah, I actually had uh, one last topic of discussion, uh, another uh, fun one, hopefully which is something you've actually been focusing uh, quite a lot on lately, and that is uh, Tesla's Maxwell takeover, you know? And I was actually wondering, from all the videos that you made out, is how much are they, how much is Maxwell really, uh, how much are they playing in the long-term game, you know? Super long-term. And what's, yeah. there's a, and now there's a bunch of debate. When the podcast, this comes out, it may be settled about whether this will actually close or not. So... Yeah, that too, yeah. That is uh, because... When is the date? What, what, when is, or is they there... got extended to like April 10th or something, but they keep extend. Who knows? It's kind of a mess right now, but because not enough Maxwell shareholders are tendering their stock. So it's just a weird situation. I mean, you have this breakthrough that Max, a 60 year old company based in San Diego, uh, who does ultra capacitors, also in manufacturing their ultra capacitors, came up with a breakthrough that applies to manufacturing lithium ion cells without solvents cheaper, faster, more sustainable, significantly cheaper because you don't need these drying ovens which take up huge footprints in the Gigafactory. And so Tesla validated, per my understanding, Tesla validated this technology to proof of concept at 300 watt hours per kilogram efficiency 
if you remember what we're talking about. And so, uh, and then they just bought it and they were like, we, because we make so many batteries, we can let, we could justify a 200 million plus acquisition price and make that back by implementing the dry battery electro technology, which is this new way to build the cell. And, uh, and the reason why Maxwell is an idiot for turning this down and why no one else, every competing bid they solicited said no is because no other car company is vertically integrated building this many batteries. So they can't actually realize those savings as fast as Tesla. Therefore the ROI of buying Maxwell for $200 million plus makes no sense. And so Tesla is the only logical person right now that makes sense to buy them, but Maxwell thinks it's too cheap. So I don't know, it could be a, it'll be a game changer for Tesla's battery technology if they acquire Maxwell, Maxwell but it, I don't know if it'll go through. Also but, but more about the battery manufacturing than the actual uh, batteries. Because uh, it's also yeah. kind of surprising from your analysis. Uh, you said, you know, Maxwell was in trouble. If, if they weren't acquired or didn't have some kind of huge boost, they were in trouble. So, I mean... I mean, know. this was a stock that was like 40, 40 bucks, then was at two bucks. Tesla's offering to buy it out for five. Like they have a track record of never executing on anything, never being profitable, never creating shareholder yeah. value. So I, you know, I'm like, what is, what you really trust, if you're, sorry. What's the ownership structure like? like what, what is the? Uh, I mean, it's publicly traded. I don't know who the largest owners are. Honestly, I actually kind of want to get on the phone and start calling them because I've been talking to some of the large Maxwell investors and like, I'm like, you want Tesla stock. Like Tesla with this technology is going to make a ton of money and there's like enough to be had for everybody, but Maxwell by themselves commercializing it is just probably not going to create much value. And so, uh, it's really interesting, but Tesla never makes acquisitions or like really, really rarely. So when they do, I think it's always worth diving deep and figuring out why, because they're so vertically integrated. Like it's probably some really interesting technology that they're acquiring. Yeah. And if you go to their factories and now, and you, you see the results of, of some of these previous acquisitions. Roman see, engineering with the yeah, crazy. Roman, That's the, crazy. Yeah. The, even the earlier ones, uh, you see now how they put it all together and you see that they had a vision for it that that's, at the time was was not as clear you know but uh yeah well super exciting a lot of fun i to talk to you you know we love your analysis love diving in we should maybe do uh semi-regularly or regularly some chats about certain topics on, on the company and before answer. we let you go just one small more moment and this is actually something mentioned on another youtube channel i was uh, wondering what you think about this what about potentially using an ultra capacitor in for example uh, roadster or elsewhere to quickly accelerate you know because batteries they hate having to discharge that quickly and having yeah, my, in between could, my, could i mean i'm not an expert but my really quick answer would be the people i've consulted with say that it's far too expensive for like not that much of a benefit maybe the only way would be to like help accelerate the semi truck so i don't know if they're using it it's very tiny amounts but per my understanding like it's basically just the dry battery electro technology but i, I don't know that's a guess. That they really want it for the manufacturing benefit. And we yeah. saw you use this uh, Audio-Technica mic that, that we both have. We're, we're going to create a sticker to go over the audio so it says Clean Technica. So we're going oh, we'll to we'll have to mail you a Clean Technica. Yeah, do it. Uh, do it. <laughs> a clean sticker for your Clean Technica mic. Yeah. So, also, I wanted to say I love Clean Technica and I love what the research you're doing, like grassroots news organization pushing EVs and like that. I think the world, this is exactly what the world needs. And I'm a huge fan of, of all the research. So it's just an honor to be a part of like the podcast and what you're doing. Thank you, man. I, I got basically pushed into it in a lucky way, like five times by <laughs> five times over. But, but I think uh, what we've, what I've tried to do with the, the site since I've been here for nine, uh, 10 years uh, is just try to 
follow stuff that we find fun and interesting and involve people and get as much feedback as possible. To, so we're sort of crowdsourcing the content, the editorial management, and uh, and just try to put the picture together. And I think you you do this in, tremendously. This is, seems to be your passion as well, trying to put the picture together, trying to create the biggest uh, view you can. Um, we, you know, I don't watch a lot on YouTube, but really good people tend to get sent to me a lot. Uh, and you're, you're definitely one that we keep getting sent like, Hey, Hey, this guy keeps getting recommended. We should check this out. And I know Kanan's been watching a lot longer. Uh, I think you, you're doing just amazing, tremendous work. And then you're seeing the success you, you are, of course, because of the, the work you put into it and, and your, your desire to dig into the, the deeper bottle. So we hugely appreciate what you do. Love, love, uh, what you're doing and, uh, happy to collaborate as, as much as we can going forward. And, and you're definitely an inspiration to us starting a, a channel as well. I mean, we, we've never gone into the clean Technica TV or YouTube thing. So, uh, I think you, you were one of the top inspirations for it. So, so if, if it goes anywhere, we have a lot to thank you for. And, That's awesome. Uh, good luck. In, in addition to that, I just wanted to say, you know, as clean Technica, we uh, want to be a good friend to uh, all the other YouTube channels. And so for example, when our videos of the free, uh, free one factory come out, we, want to allow other YouTubers to use our footage, you know, to be able to show the factory also, as long as, you know, as our logo stays in the, on the, in the corner, you know, we want others to also uh, be able to use our content. Yeah. Yeah. We've got hours or or at least an hour of good quality footage. So five minutes of uh, half an hour of uh, like complete full uh, 4k focused, good footage. Yeah. So use whatever you like. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you to all your, your fans who made, who made the, made helped make you what you are and uh yeah keep keep it up thank you yeah peace thank you for listening and check in next time to get your electric fix